What will get you through a tough time? Especially seasons when you're dealing with rumors or false accusations. Next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. I think it's safe to say we've all been misunderstood and had someone falsely accuse us of something. Worse yet is when people believe it without even talking to you. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll see that this even happened to the Apostle Paul. And how he dealt with it will provide helpful guidance for the next time it happens to us. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with a study framed around 2 Corinthians 1. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17, it says, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Uh, another way of saying that, it's very important to hear both sides before you make up your mind. Because the first one to come is usually the most convincing because you haven't heard the other side yet. And if you just wait to hear the other side before you make up your mind, you will save yourself and all the people that are involved a lot of grief. I mean, think about it. The first one to get your ear, dun da dun da dun, whoa, whoa, I can't believe that. She did that? Dun da dun, dun, I can't believe her. Well, forget her. Well, man, wait, 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 wait. Find out what she has to say. You know, he said this. Well, this is how it really happened. And she said this. Well, this is how it really happened. And then as you go through and you start to walk through spiritually, you begin to hear both sides. And then you find out in the balanced story that it really isn't. It's a combination of both of them. And then you'll be able to discern what kind of wisdom to give them from the word. Guys, pray that you, I pray that we think the best. And you can ask, you, you can ask, ask the Lord to say, Lord, help me to think the very best with the very first thought. Just God, help me not to think the worst. When things don't go according to plan, when someone lets you down, when there are questions swirling, Think the best first. The Bible says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And that's where Paul is right here. He says, I, I intended to come to you. That was my intention. He says in verse 17, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Therefore, was, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But God, as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. It was not yes and no. So you can trust me. Paul's saying, I'm not wishy-washy. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4. Let me show you something. Colossians chapter 4. Just a real good encouragement with our lips and our voice and what we say. Paul's saying, I'm not, I'm not wishy-washy. I'm not saying yes one day and no and, you know, never, you can't really depend on me. And I said yes, but I really meant no. And I said no, and I really meant yes. And I want you to guess which one I mean and play that weird game. And just like, you never know where somebody's coming. No, I'm God. There's godly sincerity in my life. There's simplicity in my life. I have a clean conscience. And when I plan things, I plan things seriously unto the Lord. But sometimes there's just things you can't control. Things that you just don't have any control over and you have to respond to it. Now, 
Colossians chapter 4, notice verse 6 with me. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Seasoned with salt, that's a a very appropriate illustration with our language. Have you ever eaten something with too much salt? It takes the flavor away and all you taste is the salt. Or on the flip side, have you ever eaten something that just a little bit more salt would actually help it taste better? That's the point that Paul's making here. You use just enough grace and love to make what you're going to say receivable in the people that you're talking to. Let your language, let your speech always be with grace. It's the same with our words. They can be too salty, they can be too bland, but salt, it creates a thirst in people, a desire to hear more. And when we speak of the things of the Spirit, then there's that thirst for spiritual things. But when we speak of the things of the flesh... Like Paul said, do I plan in the flesh? Like I say things just out of the flesh? You know, you, you find that whatever the topic of conversation is, everybody joins in. And if you're talking about the things of God, people are going to join in, talk about the things of God. And if you're not going to talk about the things of God, then people are going to join in, they're going to not talk about the things of God with you. Let your speech always be with grace. Let, let it be seasoned so that it's just enough to create a thirst in someone's life for more and a satisfying flavor of the words. I mean, if you're going to go telling dirty jokes and coarse jesting, then that's who the people you're going to be surrounded with. It, and that, that you'll just find them, they'll show up. You know, the idle chattering, and then that's what we're making people thirsty for. That's what we're going to be known. If it's the gossip and the juicy tidbit, like the Bible says, then people are going to be knocking down your door looking for that. What's the next little tidbit? What's the next little thing? How careful we need to be to speak forth goodness and grace because we will be misunderstood. We will have to change our mind. We will have to change our plans. So much of our life is unpredictable. Things can change in an instant. We said we were going to do something. It happens with me all the time where I have appointments that... You know, people have been waiting weeks and months for us to meet and, and I'm looking forward to it and we all set it up and then something happened that week and I say, hey, Teresa, can you call so-and-so and please apologize, but I can't meet. I've got to take off. I've got to go here. I've got to be on the other side of town. I've got an emergency hospital visit. I've got to fly out of town. Whatever the issues are that are outside of my control. And saying it and speaking forth with grace and Just making sure your yes is yes and your no is no is going to pave the way when you have to back out of something, when you have to say, can you show me some grace? They're going to show you grace because you've been speaking in grace to them. You've been ministering to them. You've been serving them. And that's what Paul is building on here. Basically, Paul is saying, I wasn't messing around with you guys to do one thing and not another. I didn't plan to do this lightly. When I said yes, I meant it. And when I had to say no, I meant that too. I meant them both. I said yes, and I meant it. And then when I said no, I meant it. I'm a man of God's promises. Again, Paul's living out Jesus' teaching here. Again, turn back to Matthew chapter 5 now. We'll put this together. Paul's living out exactly what Jesus taught. It will be good for us to be reminded of this. Turning back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus is teaching there in what's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he is teaching us how to live as a citizen of the kingdom, how to live as followers of Jesus. And he's, when he speaks of oaths, he says again, 
Verse 33, you've heard it that was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So telling the truth is very important. That's the essence of this teaching. The essence of Jesus, telling the truth is very important. Truth and trust are the very bedrock of any relationship. You break trust or have trust broken, you know how hard it is in the process of rebuilding. And that's why it hurts so much when we're lied to. The rabbis of the day, in Jesus' day, understood this. They would say, and I quote, the world, the world stands fast on three things, justice, truth, and peace. And they had taken it so far that they believed you were only telling the truth if you took an oath or swore to keep your word. They would probably reference Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, that says, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. Some believe Jesus is referring to a common practice among the Jews in using different types of oaths. William Barclay in his commentary wrote this, The Jews divided oaths into two classes, those who were absolutely binding and those that were not. Any oath which contained the name of God was absolutely binding, and any oath which succeeded in evading the name of God was held not to be binding. The result was that if a man swore by the name of God in any form, he would rigidly keep that oath. But if he swore by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by his head, he felt quite free to break that oath. The result was evasion had been brought to a fine art. It was just like Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees. They were saying one thing, doing another. Jesus was saying, hey, look, these guys are hypocrites. You can't follow them. You need to follow the Lord. Do as they say, but don't do as they do, Jesus said. So what we're learning with Paul and in Jesus' life is that we need to be people of our word. And I am always a little suspicious when somebody comes to me and says something, and then they say, well, you know, I swear on my mother's back or whatever, whatever new thing. You know, I swear on my brand new car. You know, believe me, believe me. I swear. I'm like, bro, you don't need to do that. Either your yes is a yes or your no is a no. And if you have to swear on everything you can think of, maybe your yes isn't quite a yes. And maybe if the people that are in your life are demanding that you start swearing and taking oaths, maybe your relationship isn't as trustworthy as you thought it was. Your yes as a believer in Jesus Christ should be yes. Should be accepted that. Nobody should have to question whether you mean it or not, whether you're going to follow through or not, whether you're going to keep your word or not, whether you're going to be honest and truthful or not. If you say yes, then I'm going to take you at your word. You said yes. You say no, I'm going to take you at your word. You don't need to swear you know, you don't need to, you know, pinky, whatever, you know, put them all together and spit in your pinkies. And we put, we don't need to do it, man. I trust you. You know, just keep your saliva to yourself and just say yes and say no. You know, it's like we don't need all these little things. Just say yes. But if you don't live in godly sincerity and simplicity, everybody questions whether you're telling the truth or not. Everybody wonders if you're going to flip-flop again. Just let your word be your word. Don't go into the realm of swearing to God. I promise I will. I swear I will. On my mama's slippers, I will. You know, when you get to that point, it's pretty obvious you can't be trusted. It's 
pretty obvious there's some things that need to be developed in your life. It's not the kind of relationship that Christians are to have. A Christian shouldn't have to take an oath. Now, I don't think this teaching is saying that you wouldn't take an oath of, you know, a jury duty or something like, well, you know, Jesus said I should. No, no, no. You're, you're just saying within the government, I, I'm going to tell the truth. My word's my word. And uh, the government doesn't know you from anyone, so you make an oath. That's not what Jesus is teaching against. Where you would say, I'm going to tell the truth. It's relational. That your word should be your word, should be your word, should be your word. Even if it's yes today, and then tomorrow it has to be no. Sometimes that happens. Your yes should be able, we should be able to say, okay, he's a man of his word. I trust him, go on. If you say you'll be there, be there. That's especially true when you tell somebody you're going to help them move, huh? <laughs> like he's got 100 people coming, and then one guy comes with a broken leg, you know? I'm here to help. <laughs> it's like, where's everybody else at? Well, you didn't keep your word. And if you said you're going to be there, then be there. That's why personally it's so important for me for people to be on time. It's just one of those things for me. Keep your word. I mean, at work you should be there before everyone. Be that shining star that makes a difference. You don't want to just blend in with everyone else. And on top of that, you don't want to be late all the time. I mean, you're a child of the king, man. You, you follow Jesus. You don't want to just kind of drag in, well, i got to be here. Well, let your yes be yes. When you sign on the dotted line, you said you'd be, on, you'd be there on time. So do it. Be honest and forthright. Be excited for the things of God. Even anything that you're doing. Be a man or a woman of your word. You, should, you shouldn't need, and I shouldn't need to have an oath to, boast, to bolster my word. It's been said that a man must lead a life which will gain more confidence in him than ever an oath will do. That's where Paul is back now as we wind down here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That's exactly where he is. He's like, look, I believe in Jesus. I follow him. You know me. I spent 18 months there with you, building tents, working by day, teaching by night. I was hanging out with you guys. You know my life. You've seen my life. You see me in the good times. You see me in the bad times. You know me. I was sincere and honest. I didn't take advantage of you. You know me. Just what Jesus said. When I said yes, I meant it. When I said no, I meant it. And here we are riding again. And you'd rather listen to them than to listen to me, which is a hard thing for him. And so here in chapter 1, he says, in verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God and has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a deposit. You that have a faith in Jesus Christ that have been born again, you have the Holy Spirit in you as a deposit. God has placed a deposit on you that you're going to make it. He's going to sustain you and carry you through. You're going to make it. One of, the, one of the common questions we get on the radio a lot is, can a believer lose his salvation? You can't lose something that you didn't find. God saved you. He chose you. You didn't choose him. He brought you into salvation. The Bible says that he's the author and finisher of salvation. 
And part of his deal is not only here does he give you the spirit as a deposit, but Paul would write to the Ephesians that you have the spirit as a seal in your life. And let's just think about that for a second. Salvation, by definition, is eternal. It's not temporary. You don't get a temporary salvation. So the first time you blow it, God takes it back and you have to earn it. Salvation can't be earned. If God does the saving and he's the author of salvation, then the Bible says he's also the finisher of salvation. So you can trust him because he promises, he promises that you've been saved. You don't go back and forth. You don't go back and forth. Well, I'm saved today, I'm, saved. I'm not saved tomorrow. I'm saved today, I'm not saved tomorrow. You, you look at your life and you, you know, if that's your life, if you're going back and forth, that, that's a very, very poor way to live. Believer and unbeliever alike. Like you're, it's like one day you say, I live here, and the next day I don't, where do I live? I live here, where do I live? You know, one day you go home, and the next day you live on the streets. You go, what are you doing? I don't know where I live. Well, here's your address. Okay. You go home the next day. Oh, this is great. What a great house. The very next day, I don't know where I live. I haven't met anybody that does that. But I've met a lot of believers who go, I don't know where I live. I don't know what God's done in my life. I had a real bad day today. And so now I've concluded that God's turned his back on me, but it's not true. You have, and I have, a seal. The Spirit of God is a deposit in our lives. You go, wait a minute, Ed. I mean, if you teach that you're saved by grace, which we do, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, and if you, you, know, you teach that salvation is eternal, then, man, they're just going to go out and all the believers that you're teaching are just going to go out and live like the devil. Well, if you choose to do that, then you misunderstand the love of God. And if that's your life right now, like if that's your, yeah, dude, I hear you. Oh, God, I'm saved, man. I'm just going to live like the devil this week and I'll be back next week. If that's your life, then I want to warn you. You should really consider and reconsider whether you're saved or not. Because when you were born again, the Bible says you were changed. That your hard heart was replaced with a soft heart. That you became a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And one of the things that have become new is this new desire to live for Jesus. Not to live for the devil. We've lived for the devil long enough. We've lived in that realm long enough as unbelievers many of us for many years. And so to think that the grace of God is permission to go out and willingly sin against God is to misunderstand the grace of God. It would Peter had to deal with it in his day because Peter talked about the grace of God is not a cloak for licentiousness. And you go, man, what does that mean? The grace of God is not a covering so you can live for the devil all week. That's what he's saying. That you can just kind of do what you want and go, well, you know, God's forgiven me. The Spirit of God has sealed you. And back in verse 20, you, I have it circled in my Bible. All the promises of God in him are yes and amen. That means every promise of God to the believer is something you can hold on to and that you can trust that even if you don't see it, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't see anything on the horizon, even if you don't have any idea how God's going to come through, how he could ever keep his promises, you can just rest on this, memorize this verse. All the promises of God in him are yes. You can hold on to them. 
Jesus, you know, Paul's saying, I wasn't wishy-washy, but you know how he's substantiating it? He's saying, Jesus is not wishy-washy. Everything in him is yes and amen. Remember that word amen, it simply means so be it. When you say amen at the end of a prayer, you're saying, I agree with that. So be it. Amen to that. I agree with all that, all that was said. And so with Jesus, yes, I agree with the promises that he has given us. He's established us. He's anointed us. He has sealed us. And he has given us a deposit to remind us in those tough times, to remind us in those difficult days, to remind us in those weak times, to remind us when we're mind, our mind is playing games with us and when we're doubting, and when we're skeptical, and when we're human and the humanity of our lives rises up and we've made bad decisions and all of the things that would cause to undermine us, remember this, established, anointed, sealed, deposited. The Spirit of God has been deposited in every true believer and God doesn't remove his deposits. He keeps his promises. So you can trust him. He'll establish you in the faith. Aren't you glad that salvation doesn't depend upon you? At what moment during this Bible study did you lose your salvation? When you were thinking about some weird thing in your head. Oh, you're lost. <laughs> so you know what I, I mean, speed it up, Ed, because I, they ran out of food downstairs. I didn't get any dinner, and I'm hungry right now. Oh, lost. <laughs> or you got some heavy things. I mean, we chuckle a bit, but you got heavy things on your mind. Your spirit's willing. You've come to Bible study. You've seeking the Lord, but you got some doubts, some concerns, some fears, anxieties. You might even, unfortunately, it does happen. There are people within the sound of my voice right now that are actually plotting and planning sin. They're not interested in Bible study at all. I mean, if God held us, if our salvation depended on our perfect performance, we're toast. But our salvation doesn't depend upon our perfect performance our salvation is dependent upon the perfect act of Jesus who died and rose again for you who promised I was just so encouraged as I was reading the scripture on the radio today it just encouraged me in John chapter 14 he promised he promised this listen this is I mean over and over again just let let it's in verse 1 of chapter 14 let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me And in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go, this is verse 3, and prepare a place for you. This is John 14. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. It's so encouraging. You know, Jesus promised. He said nobody comes to the father except through him. And so I chose to go through him. I didn't choose some other false religion. I didn't choose to follow a man or a movement. I didn't choose to get involved in religion. I don't want you to follow a man, a movement, or religion. I want you to choose Jesus, John 14, 6. Follow Jesus. Forget every man and woman in your life and follow him. Don't follow a man. Don't let your salvation be dependent on the works of some man or your own works. But just walk by faith. Surrender to him. 
Thanks for joining us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. You can hear this study again online at calvaryco.church or through our app, which can be found searching for Calvary Aurora. The message is called Boasting in Simplicity and Godly Sincerity. And we'd really like to hear from you this summer. It's helpful to know how these studies are impacting your life, and that would be a real encouragement to Pastor Ed and the team. And if you're in need of prayer, please leave your requests, too. There's a place to contact us at calvaryco.church by email or call 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is supported by listeners just like you, and we're extremely grateful for those that come alongside of us with either a one-time gift or ongoing support. We'd like to say thanks today for a gift of $25 or more by sending you the Quick Scripture Reference for Counseling by John Cruis. This is a handy reference tool for those times when someone comes to you with a problem or a question. You'll be able to open this guide and quickly find the scriptures that best relate to the issue they're dealing with. It's great for counselors, pastors, or really any Christian. So call us at 877-30-GRACE or visit us online at calvaryco.church. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.